Are you looking for new books to read? Do you like finding a new special author? Are you tired of the same old books from the same old authors? Well then, welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where you can hear from fantastic new authors. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have worked hard to write great new books. Hear about their book and why you should check it out. So sit back and listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. Today, I have Lisa Blood. Let me get that. That's perfect, actually. Excellent. Okay. So yeah. today on Discovered Wordsmith, I have Lisa Solit, who's going to talk to us about her Nava Shiva. Lisa, how are you doing today? I'm okay. Thank you. Yeah? Doing good? Mm-hmm. I've got rainy weather. Where are you at? What do you have? I'm in Savannah, so it's it's hot, but it's sunny until we have almost a sh- shower every day. But nice. right now, it's gorgeous. Nice. Yes, I actually almost, paradise. I, I almost, there was supposed to be a, a writer retreat in Savannah this year that didn't happen. Some Someone up here that runs those. So it, it would have been nice to go visit. I haven't been down to that area for quite a while. It's gorgeous. It is. Yeah. Lisa, before we talk about your book, tell us a little bit about you and your background and some of the things you like to do. I majored in something offbeat in college. I majored in semiotics, which was a hip linguistics thing many years ago. But what it let me do was read and write, which were the two things I wanted to do more than anything. And so I did those. And I I've always been a reader, and so it was really fun for me to be in school and be able to discuss books with other people and professors and also to do to parse them in ways that I wasn't familiar with. So that was great. I think I always knew I would write. I always but I wasn't quite sure what I would write at any given time. I've always written fiction, but first thing I did when I got out of college was I worked as a magazine editor and writer. And so that was great. It was a, not only did I make a living, but it also taught me a lot about deadlines and editing versus writing, write, writing versus editing, how to craft something for another writer that sounded like them, but was. So that I've was heard. I've heard from a lot of other authors that did some journalism, did some magazines and articles and nonfiction and all that, that even though they write fiction now, the skills you learned doing the newspaper, the journal, whatever, really applied and helped you with the writing. Do you find that to be very true? Absolutely, because anything you publish, anything you work on is something that you're proud of and you've finished. And that can only improve all of your writing. I don't think, I I still write essays. I still do some nonfiction. I don't think they're mutually exclusive at all. Anything that that makes you a better writer, which includes reading, which is always a fun discussion with people, is a good thing. Absolutely. It's kind of hard sometimes. When I was freelancing years ago, doing lots and lots of newspaper work and book reviews, it was very hard to then do my own fiction writing later in the day because I was done. But it's actually a good challenge to present to yourself. Okay. So sorry, I interrupted your flow. Tell us some of the other things you like to do there, a little bit more about your background. I've I've been in politics for a long time. I've worked polls and knocked on doors and 
I've done all sorts of volunteer work for Democratic candidates. I raised two kids. I've traveled widely and lived in two other countries. What? Let's see. I've taken care of, even though not full-time, two aging parents. Yeah, I garden. I cook. I'm a very good cook. And uh, I love flowers and plants and herbs and vegetables, so I do that. Nice. About it. (laughs) All right. So you said you've written and always wanted to write, and you have done it for a long time. What made you finally want to start writing this book? Oh, this book is based on truth, and that's why I call it a novel from memory. It's it's got real stuff in it, but then I I use fiction to discuss it, to analyze it, to decode it in a way that I don't think I could have done if I did it as a memoir. And I've never seen anything written quite like this about Alzheimer's. I've seen interesting pop books. There's been a memoir too, but this, I wanted it to, to really talk about the concept of memory, what it means when you lose it, what you forget, what you don't forget, what that means to the people that you're connected to. In this case, it's a mother and a daughter as the primary characters. And when the daughter realizes the mother has Alzheimer's, she then has to let go of their former relationship and let go of ever getting to a different place together. And so what she chooses to do is instead create out of reality and desire a past and a present for her mother. So it all has to do with memory. And just watching my mother die slowly of Alzheimer's was extraordinarily profound. She was very difficult, extremely beautiful, extremely smart, ill, and an alcoholic. It was an interesting experience growing up with her. But when I saw her lose herself and not even realize she had lost herself, it was gobsmacking. And it made me rethink everything, especially my relationship with her, but also what it means to be a person and what it means to be alive. And so the, I wrote a, a bunch of nonfiction things, essays that I published about her struggle over the years, but I really felt like I had to do a whole bigger work about about memory and relationships. And so that's what I tackled over 12 years. And I was going to ask about that because you've got a nonfiction background. So you did both. You wrote some nonfiction about a parent losing themselves and dealing with all of that. So you got that out. So you went in a different direction and wrote some fiction. Do you think that was not only therapeutic for you, but do you think the message you were trying to get across came out better as fiction or would help other people? Or Because it's an interesting choice to do that. Do You did both, essentially. I, I, this is not my first novel. I have written other novels. I had agents. I won contests, but I couldn't get them published. It's a long story. So I've always been attached to the novel. I've been writing them for many years. I really didn't start doing a lot of essay work until the early 2000s, but I found that I really had a, I was good. I had a feel for it and it worked. So I did that for a while and really 
put fiction on the back burner. But I just couldn't figure out a way to tackle this subject in long form as a memoir. And also, I felt like it wasn't as interesting. I'm sure people would disagree with me, but I didn't feel like my particular point of view was interesting enough or different enough. And that's why I expanded it out with science and physics and religion and faith and everything that has to do with losing your memory and having a relationship and things of that nature. So I I just felt like with fiction, I could be freer. I could create characters. I could get rid of characters. I could com- combine characters. I didn't want to talk about this man or that man or this person. And I do discuss my sisters and I wanted to respect them. So I fictionalized them and not in, in a way that would make it easier for them to read, perhaps. Although I don't know whether they have. <laughs> nice. Okay. So you mentioned you couldn't get agent. So this is independently published? I, I, during the pandemic, I decided to stop looking for agents and I started submitting to small presses. Now, the book had already won, it had already been long listed for a novel prize and short listed for a novel prize. So I knew it was really good and I knew it was close. And so I started looking at independent presses, small presses. And I submitted it to Jaded Ibis Press in California, and they loved it. And that's where I went. They published a lot of women's writing, and I appreciated their viewpoint. I knew it wasn't a big five, but I was okay with that. And they did an amazing job. They're great editors, and it's a beautiful book. So I'm, I'm very pleased with that. Nice. Okay. And is it already out, or is it coming out? It is. It came out in June. Yeah, I thought it was really close when I was talking to Deb. Here, can you see? There you go. Nice. (laughs) Now, what's the title mean? Shiva is the week-long period of mourning that Jews do when somebody dies. Okay. And there's all these rituals which are explained in the book. So each day of the week, you you do all the things at all the same time. But I did a conceit of, of dividing the novel into seven sections, each with a certain aspect of mourning. Shiv is oh. essentially mourning the person that is lost. And so that's, that's the larger context. It's, a, it's not mourning for a week. In this case, it's mourning for a lifetime. So I divide it up in two sections. With. The first one is called the heart-wrenching pain of grief and loss. And then the second is the ceremony of the washing of the hands. And so I use these things symbolically. The third one is the condolence meal. So I use that to talk about how feeding someone and inviting someone to your table in the Jewish religion is a sacred act. And then I discuss what that was like in the family and the book. And was it a sacred act? It was not. It was eating was an act of fraught with symbolism and sadness. So I use each of, of the ideas of what you're supposed to be doing when you mourn with people in Shiva to talk about the relationship of the mother and the daughter and the mother's life as to how it fits in. Does that make sense? Yeah, nice. That's a good framework to start with and use and gives it an interesting twist for a lot of readers, I'm sure. Because I didn't grow up Jewish. I don't have anyone that's Jewish in my family. So it's always, I enjoy learning about other religions, other cultures, other ways people do things. So I I think that's a good way of doing it. 
I did think long and hard about it. I thought, is this going to put some people off? But it is what it is. It's mourning. And this is what this book is about. It's in a way, it's how to mourn and why to mourn and what happens and what are you mourning? Who are you mourning? Are you mourning your, yourself, your relationship with this person? Are you mourning them? And I, you know, it's about grief. And I, I think that, I don't know, I think it's important to talk about grief. It is, even though we tend to avoid it. <laughs> we do. We yeah. absolutely do. And I think when, when you have a time of a dozen, 15 years, of watching someone die, it's a very different experience than losing somebody quickly or knowing that they have something that's going to carry them off in a year or two. Alzheimer's, dementia, it can last a very long time, and it goes through different stages where the person is somewhat more there and then not there. And I, I try to take the reader through the loss of the mother in all these in a way, it's an extended loss, and you lose oh, the person way before their body is gone. And Absolutely. I think that's way harder because you're in a constant state of mourning and grief. You are. You absolutely are. You know, my mother and I used to have a very difficult relationship, but every time I used to fly up to see her four or five more times a year, she insisted on staying in New England when she got sick. But every time I would say goodbye to her, I would cry. And I was like, what is going on here? But it was, each time was like a little death. And I didn't know who she'd be when I saw her next. I didn't know when she would stop realizing who I was, or when she would stop recognizing me. And then eventually you, you stop walking, you stop speaking. And so each time the disease progresses, you lose another piece of that person. And so you have to mourn over and over and over, I think that's the, every time you lose a, another piece. Yeah, so I think a lot of people in our generation will get this because no matter what your faith is or none, where a lot of us are dealing with seriously ill parents and also having to think about how we want our own death to look right. like. This has made me really think about what I would do were this to happen to me. I've talked to both of my children about my plans, uh, something my mother did not do. We, my sisters and I had to create a plan for her because she had none and we didn't know what she wanted. So we just did the best we could. But once you watch something like this, my first reaction was I never ever want my children to see me like I'm seeing my mother. I never want that. Because as I said, she was beautiful and smart and funny and very wicked in ways. But all that went. And I, I think if she had been on the outside looking and seen, she's very vain. What she looked like, how she presented herself in those letters, I think she would have been horrified. I know she would have been horrified. And so I've been, I have pictures around my house that are of her much younger when she was beautiful, when she was vibrant and alive, because I don't want that picture of her sitting in a wheelchair, comatose practically, dressed in someone else's clothes to be the last way I think of her. It's right. too, it's unbearable. It really is unbearable. It, it, it's the same old, 
Enjoy life. It's short. You don't know when. Don't let so many things smell the roses, right? And that the old standby. Well, it is, but I do think that everybody needs to think about their exit. If you don't think about your exit, you leave that to other people who may not be able to do what you want because it's too hard. When you love somebody, you don't want them to die. As much as my mother was sick and I thought it would be a blessing if she went, when she finally went, it was horrifying. I was, it was crazy. I was with her for for 10 days in hospice and watching her die. And yet it still was traumatic. And I think until you do that, you don't realize how it's going to hit you. And so you just have to think about what you want to put your own family through. So the book's been out for a couple months when we're recording this. What's the feedback from readers been like? It's been really good so far. I the the publicity by the press wasn't everything I wanted, and that's down to me. I should have hired somebody, which I finally did. But it's not gotten as widespread cover as I'd wished, which happens when you publish with a small press as opposed to a big five. But I am going to go to the Montana Book Festival in September. They've invited me to be a reader, so that's going to be fun because I've never been to Montana. But the people who've read it have been really moved by it, strangers and and friends. So that's been great. I don't I I don't know what the people who haven't liked it feel, but can't worry about them anyway. Okay. But no, I think it's been pretty positive. Okay. It's the book I wanted to write. I wrote the book I wanted to write and you really can't and it was accepted for publication and published by a nice press. You really can't do much better than that if you think about it. It's uh, I wasn't aiming for the bestseller list. It's not that kind of book, but but it's exactly what I wanted to do, which is a big deal, especially when you're my age. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is a nice treat at the end. Nice. Okay. So if you had a choice, Lisa, would you rather see your book as a movie or a TV show? <laughs> That's interesting. I actually, I know you're not going to move it, but I really hadn't thought about it. I don't know. Personally, I'm really, I used to be a big fan of movies. so. I'd go two or three times a month for years. And my husband and I would go. And then the pandemic happened. And we haven't been to a film. I don't love watching films on television, but I love the good television that's out. It is amazing. Nowadays, yeah. It's oh my crazy God. good. So different than when I was younger. Yeah. Just astonishing TV. I don't know whether this has enough meat to make it a long series, but I think you could probably do it and do the British TV, which is what, like two to four hours? Yeah, a couple um, episode thing. Yeah, so whatever. It's hard. It's a very it's a very thinky novel. I'm very consumed by language. Each word is crucial to me. I'm not, not plot-driven. I'm character-driven and word-driven. And so sometimes I think that doesn't translate very well to the screen. So I don't know. They say the worst books make the best films and vice versa. So I don't know. I don't know. Something like The Goldfinch, which was so brilliant, the movie was not. So you have to just think, could they do it right? I don't know. Yeah, it seems like TV shows are getting it right a lot better than most movies. I think so. they're too, because they, well, because they have a longer time. What happens with, with film is that 
a big book is squished down and you miss, you miss a lot of it, unless they just take a piece of it. And really, I think it's not even movies versus TV shows. I think it's streaming shows. That's something newer really is what it's coming down to. Where can we get your book? And do you have a website? I do. My website is just my name, lisasola.com. It's got links on there. I, you can get it at, you can order it at any bookstore. You can get it from Bookshop, which only sells to indie from independent bookstores. You can get it on Amazon. You can get the Kindle version, which I actually like Kindle versions. And you can get it at Barnes and Noble for a book or no. So nice. anywhere in Savannah, you can get it at the Book Lady bookstore. I did a reading when it first came out at my synagogue and the woman who owns the book lady sold the books there, which was great. Great combo. I'm doing another program at the JEA in October, where I'll also be reading. And then I'm going to be at the Montana Book Festival, so it will be sold there. So we'll see. But you can get it anywhere you want. If you decide you want to support Jeff Bezos, you can go online and order today, and you'll get it tomorrow. Right. Yep. And th- that is crazy. I've ordered stuff at 4.30 and had it at 10 o'clock the next morning. And I know. We've, got, we've gotten very spoiled. Yes. Uh, we do no longer know how to delay gratification, which I don't think is a very good thing. I agree. That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> yeah, it is. But yes, it's, and you know, of course, with Kindle, I, I very often, especially books, like I'm a, I love thrillers and, and mysteries, not true crime, but uh, people like Jane Casey and had a French and Lee Child. And so whenever Michael Conley, uh, that's my sort of fun, fun stuff. Whenever one of those comes out, I just immediately go and get it on Kindle. I pre-order it. And so someday when I'm sitting reading, it pops up, oh, your book is here. And I, I, I like that. It's really fun. I know it's maybe not the best thing in the world, but I am. Somebody said, well, where, what would you prefer? How would you prefer me to buy your book? I said, I don't care. Just <laughs> buy it. I have no preference. You could borrow your friends. I don't care. But just buy it and read it and let me know what you think. So are you working on or do you have plans for your next book? I am working on, yes, a book, which is a a retelling of a children's fairy tale. I'm not going to go into too much detail other than that. Familiar fairy tale. And I'm also working on an essay, which I'm very excited about, I hope. I can pull it off. It's very ambitious, but so we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, I'm always, and I keep, like we writers, I write ideas on my phone. I have an idea notebook. So I'm usually thinking of something to write. Got it. it Okay. So let me ask a couple other questions about you. What are some of your favorite books and authors? I told you I'm very interested in words. You probably could figure out who it was, but I, I think Philip Roth is a genius, was a genius. His sentences have never not made me stop and go, oh my God. So his writing is beautiful. I love early influences were Margaret Drabble, who's a British author, and Anita Bruckner, who's also British. Their work was very pivotal in my education as a writer and a feminist. I love their work. I think Anita Bruckner's novels were tight and spare and absolutely perfect. And 
I don't think she has big enough readership. She did win the Booker for one of her books, but so really, yeah, I like domestic fiction, if you want to call it that. So you've got Margaret Atwood before she went sci-fi, although I don't dislike The Handmaid's Tale, but Ann Tyler, I really, I like that. But I also like muscular intellectual fiction too. Uh, Marianne Wiggins, who has just published a new book, Despite a Stroke, but her, her John Dollar is one of the best novels I've ever read in my life. I think she's brilliant. She was married to Salman Rushdie for a while when he was um, a, had to go into hiding because of the fatwa. And so she published John Dollar during that period. And it sank like a stone, basically, because she was also in hiding with him. And I think that's just a really interesting story. It's an amazing book. But yeah, I like, and I like the usuals. I like Fitzgerald and Mark and so forth. I'm just and Edith Wharton, but I'm a voracious re- reader. I read very quickly, and I usually have two or three things going, and mostly fiction, I will admit. But I'm always finding new writers. I really like buying debut authors, not just because I am one, but because I think I want to see what's going on. I want to see what they're doing. So that's fun. I have always supported fiction by women, especially, but for first time published authors. But for me, it's a lot about the language. It really is. It's a lot about the words. So when somebody says to me, this is a beautiful book, that makes me very happy because I think it is too. And I spent years making sure that it was a beautiful book. Nice. So that's nice to be recognized for that. Nice. Okay. All right. So before we talk about some author stuff, if you're at the book festival and somebody's looking at your book and they say, so why should I buy your book and read it? What would you tell them? Oh man, maybe this is something good to think about before you get there, huh? Wow. Yes, absolutely. I don't know. I would think I would tell them that it's, I have had people tell me it's unputdownable. I'm not sure if that's true because it's, it is rather sad, but I think it's compelling. I think that's the word I would use. I think it's a compelling book about an important or several important subjects, mother daughter relationships, illness, death. And I think that, I think you learn something. There's a lot of information in it. Let's put it that way. Nice. There you go. So if that helps you at the Montana Book Festival, that's great. Oh, yeah, that's good. I I really hope someone does that, that they come up to you (laughs) now and say, so why should I get this and read this? And you're like, oh, man, I'm so glad I thought of it. (laughs) Or what if people say, that's a very good question. Anyway, no, it's, it's really hard, I think. I long for the days of the old school writers who just wrote their book, sent them off, and then didn't have to go on speaking tours and do interviews and get on Twitter and sell their books. And it's exhausting. And you just, you don't want to push people away, but you want people to read you. And there's so many books published every year. And why do people need this? Why do people need your book? I don't know. Do they? They probably don't, but, but I still want them to read it. It's, it's, there's just, and then of course people are self-publishing which is a whole other bag of tricks. So there's just a lot of stuff out there. And how do you choose what to read? That's very individual. Yeah, very much. All right. So I appreciate you sharing all that. The book sounds great. I really wish you the best of luck on it. Good. You should read it. 
I you ought to see my to read pile. <laughs> every week I'm talking to new authors and just about every book sounds amazing to me. And then I got the stuff I've normally had that I'm interested in reading. And right. I go visit a bookstore. I'm like, oh, that looks, oh, I didn't know they wrote that. And then it's like, well, okay, let's add to this list. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a, yeah, I can't. And every place we travel, my husband and I go into bookstores. We love used bookstores too. And we're always like, why are we buying books and vacation? But we do. We always yeah. do. Hi, if you enjoyed this episode of Discovered Wordsmiths, please support the author. Go to their website, go to Amazon, look them up, get the book. And if you click on the link that I have in the show notes, you'll also help support the podcast so I can keep the hosting and all the software I use and uh, keep it running for to help more authors. When I am recording this, we've got over 100 episodes, lots of authors. Go to the website, discoveredwordsmiths.com. Check it out. There's a lot of great authors, probably in some genre that you love. See what they have. Check out their books. That's what the point of the podcast is for. So people can discover new authors, find some new books they love, support the authors so they can continue writing. So please support them. And if you do like the podcast, if you've been thinking of podcasting or you're a writer, I've got some links also at the website. Click on those if you're interested in any of the software or services that I talk about. Everything that I have there is something I use. So I've got an affiliate link. Again, it's a little bit, if everyone clicked on those, if they were going to get it anyway, it helps keep the podcast going. So let's all help each other out, discover more authors to read. Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe sometime in the near future, it might be you.